Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Squareball Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Squareball Podcast number 105. I am Moscow White and with me are Michael Normanton. Hello. And Rob Conlon. Hello. Andy P, I think we established that he's probably not the curse of everything that's ever gone wrong with Leeds United because results didn't really pick up after his absence last time. However, this time he can't make it through the snow. So maybe it's just him that's cursed. Is it snow or work? I can't remember. There, I mean, there is literally no snow as you look out the window. So if that's his excuse. Speaking of excuses, if you haven't bought a copy of the Squareball magazine issue seven, um, you'd better have a, gan- a damn good reason why. A gown dug reason why? <laughs> Because it's brilliant, 72 full-colour pages, it's only £2, you can get it from the squareball.net. You may have seen the cover featuring uh, Angus Kinnear, Lucas the Copcat and Paul Heckingbottom hard at work redesigning Leeds United's crest. If you've looked at that and thought, that looks brilliant, but then not gone and bought it, you're doing it wrong, really, because there's 71 more pages just as good as that. And on the squareball.net you can get our famous, famous beanies. Keep the snow off. Indeed. And there will be a few of those magazines still on sale at the Wolves game, I believe. Are you actually bothering? Uh, no, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> but there'll be some, some youths. I assume, I wasn't going to plug that because I just assumed that a Wednesday night match, you'd no. just sack it off and go. Put the kids out. It's like League Cup. Well, we, we came very near over the last few weeks to people saying, let's just sack this season off and put the kids out. Get Eddie Gray in. Get rid of Paul Heckingbottom. But not the foreign kids. No. Um, get Ian Hart Not in autism, charge. kids. Get Ian Hart in charge and get some good native Irish kids <laughs> in the first team. But the, the Paul Heckenbottom era, it's fair to say, did not get off to the glorious beginning we all were dreaming of. Away to Sheffield United. When we played Sheffield United at Elland Road, after two minutes, Billy Sharp scored. And then we went to Bramwell Lane. Learn from it. <laughs> well, we couldn't. We couldn't. You change the manager, all those things get forgotten. <laughs> How did you feel, Michael, as that, that volley from Van Sharpston hit the back of the net? A bit, uh, oh, nothing's changed. <laughs> I mean, he'd not been in charge for two more minutes, than a few days, had he? <laughs> but I suppose as a new manager, you'd probably keep it fairly simple that first few days of training. Keep Don't it. concede to two minutes. Basically, yeah. And then he didn't, he didn't bank on Union O'Kane's flimsy header. It was just the most it. predictable thing ever, it seemed like. You saw it, it did seem to happen in slow motion where you thought, Roof's not going to track that man, he's going to cross it, you could see it going to O'Kane, you thought, 
bit awkward. He's not going to do it properly, is it? And then you saw the ball loop to Sharp, and you think, he's going to twat that in, isn't he? And he did. And it was like, oh, this is just what we do. Never mind who the manager is, this is what we do. O'Kane was the big call, the captain. Did you feel inspired when you saw him walking out with the proudly wearing the armband? I'm genuinely staggered as to what's happened to O'Kane this season. Because, I mean, like most of the players, he started the season pretty well. And then that game at Hillsborough when he maybe played with a broken rib, I don't know. And he was abysmal. Well, are you a doctor? <laughs> was the... um, maybe he had one removed, like Prince, for any particular reason. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? You can Google that if you don't know why <laughs> Prince had his uh, rib removed and then work out whether Union O'Kane would have had um, his removed for the same reason. At least if it had been removed. Well, he played as if his spine had been removed, is where I'm... Going with this, captain material for you, Michael, or were you not really into it? Well, no, it, it, a bit like Roberts, the start of the year, I thought, this is a new player. He's all transformed, he looks really good. He'd not give, been given much of a chance towards the end of last season either. Even when things were going badly, it felt like Monk didn't want him in the team. Um, and then this season, that felt completely unjustified because he was really good. And then maybe this and the games around it offer an insight as to maybe why Monk didn't fancy him. He just... <laughs> It's like, the, it's like the penalty he gave away in this game. It was a dive, but I still blamed him for it. Yeah. Because mm. it was stupid. Because he just ran at an angle where he was never going to win the ball. All you're going to do in running at, a defend, running at an attacker at that angle, at best, you're going to foul them. And it's worth pointing out as well that he not only gave away the, the penalty, he gave away the free kick that they then played down the side of him that he then gave away the penalty for. <laughs> He was very and the free kick was needless as well. Yeah, he really did put in the consummate shit performance. Um, Paul Heckenbottom said after this game that we can't keep relying on a bit of magic from Pablo. I contend he's wrong. <laughs> well, we've got Saez back now as well, so that's true. There's enough magic out there. He changed the game. What he did. we needed was Kemar Roof to get. Um, it was an arse to the head. I don't think enough was made of the fact that he was knocked out and lost a tooth by striking an arse. That's what. <laughs> Cleaned him out and left him barely conscious. Did he lose a tooth? He did. I missed that. Which bit of an ass can knock a tooth? I was going to say, I dread to think where that tooth is right now. (laughs) Embedded firmly in a Sheffield buttock. But it meant that Pablo Hernandez could come on and within minutes of the restart, we're level. He He just is confident actually taking the ball, which in a team like this, which maybe has improved slightly in recent weeks, but... At this point in particular, no one had any confidence. And so no one really wanted the ball. And no one wanted to get in space for the ball because they would rather that it wasn't given to them because then they'd have to do something with it. Pablo just came on and was like, yeah, give it here. See what I can do with it. Do you enjoy seeing a header from that far out? Uh, Pierre-Michel Lasaga probably headed that ball further I can kick it. It's always good. It's always very frustrating when Lasaga can't seem to head it in from a yard out as well. And yet from 12 yards out, it just bulleted in. I mean, this was sort of... Was this the start of the... Renaissance of Lusaga. I think we're mid. This is mid. Mid Renaissance. Uh, Renaissance because he Millwall yeah. kicked it off. He's got better. Those the team's got worse. Just scoring better and better goals. <laughs> this and has he actually scored since then? Oh yes, he scored, scored. against Bristol, didn't he? But um, before <clears> that, we had to lose this game. Did it? Did it leave you excited about the new Paul era? Ninety minutes of of, of great new hecking bottom action. I was trying not to judge him on it. Really, it's it was too early. It still is, really. Let's not be, let's not be hasty. Let's not be Chilino-ish about the man, it. The man's had four games. <laughs> he's, he's halfway through a millinage. First home game for Paul Heckingbottom was against Bristol City. After a shambolic start at Bramwell Lane, you would hope being back at Elland Road and having had them on the training pitch for a week, all sort it out. 15 minutes gone, 2-0 down. Michael. And it was thoroughly deserved. Mm-hmm. We were 
we were just panicking every time they had the ball. Particularly, they, we seemed to be giving them a lot of throw-ins, and every time they had one, we were just all watching Flint going, God, he's big. Oh, shit. What happens now? And yeah, the, it was as bad as it's been, really, in, in all honesty. It was one of those halves where you think you almost felt sorry for Heckingbottom because there's not a chance he's been on the training pitch making them do this. Like, that's them. That's the players on their own being useless. Um, and he must have been on the sideline thinking, what have I done? Rob, we, you and I in particular, were praising Felix Fiefeld in the last podcast. Um, how, how silly do you feel? Yeah, I do feel bad because he does keep having... I like him for some reason. I don't know why. I just I don't know if I feel sorry for him or what. But and, but he keeps having games two or three in a row where you think, no, oh, he's a capable keeper. He's, he's getting his confidence back. I keep pointing out that Rob Green was terrible the first half of last season. I just keep expecting Viedveld to do the same. It wasn't as bad as this, though, but was then, it? Yeah, but then Viedveld keeps doing this and just makes me look even more stupid. I mean, he's, that first goal, he was so far beyond his near post. You watch it back and you think, why, why are you going there? It was bizarre. I know we've had much worse results than this this season, but they, I think this game annoyed me more than any in a weird way. I was watching it on TV um, because 4.30 on a Sunday is just a crap time for football, mm-hmm. but um, it looked on TV like they had more players than us because they were just winning every second ball. It didn't matter what area of the pitch it was. So it can't be like, oh, the pressing is high and winning it high up because they're also just winning it easy in midfield and in their defence. It was just so frustrating. It felt like we didn't learn anything new because it, it was just the same thing of we've got to make it hard for ourselves before we even do anything. It did feel up until the 70th minute when the game changed and the atmosphere changed that it was as bad as we've been for a long time. Though in a way we cheated by keeping 11 men. It's not really fair, is it, on the opposition? Should do it. Should be trying to do it with 10. Well, if we'd had 10, we probably would have won. Possibly. We, we, we do love... I mean, this was another example. We're loving a comeback lately and this was the first time we actually did a comeback and we got something we got a point should have got all three the fans got the point though <laughs> didn't they players mm. didn't earn this this was all down to the crowd and their 90 minutes of 100 percent backing <laughs> for the heroes of leeds united cheered them onto the pitch gave them all the strength and courage that they needed from the stands to see it through and get that that 2-2 draw that's, D- that's definitely how it happened definitely weren't olaying passes at 2-0 down for a bit of a laugh and the, the the singing of we're going up as fucking champions um, in the middle of the second half, I don't think that was sarcastic. I think that was everybody could see that not having the ball for 70 minutes was just a precursor to, to winning the division. Like I said, I wasn't there, so how was it being there? It was absolute poison. <laughs> I, I mean, you said... 4.30 on a Sunday is, is no time for a football match. And, yeah, the first 15 minutes of the second half... The first half was terrible as a football spectacle. The second half, there was real... It got really vicious. And I was just sitting there thinking, this is a waste of my Sunday. I'm not enjoying watching what those rubbish players are doing. I'm not enjoying listening to what anybody's yelling at them. I feel like yelling at them, but I just can't be bothered. I can't bring myself to have a go at any of them. What is the fucking point I think had it not been for the Millwall game it would have been very very tempted to leave at half time or maybe 15 minutes into the second half when there was no improvement you might have thought do you know what going to work in a few hours yeah <laughs> that's it when you get home at like 7 o'clock on a Sunday night it's like what's next if I get home now I can, I can probably have a bottle of wine without having a hangover tomorrow <laughs> but instead there was that moment I think it was a a mixture of the referee finally giving us a, a free kick. And then I think probably a lot of people felt the way I did, that they were just sick of 
being annoying to ourselves, like bored of having a go at our own players, essentially. And it it just shifted from if we're going to sing sarcastic songs really loudly, we may as well sing marching on together. We are leads got cracked out, which I haven't heard for a long, long time, which was very pleased to have back. Always better than all leads, aren't we? And yeah, and and suddenly we scored. And then Ruth managed to sour the atmosphere slightly <laughs> by being a bell end. What do you think he was trying to do when he celebrated that goal, the equalising goal, by putting his fingers in his ears and running to the corner? I thought it was, I'm not listening to you, you set of bastards, was what he meant. Mm. Any alternative Well, because my view on Kimar Roof is that I think he's really stupid. And so he I, looks stupid, which is and he does maybe harsh of, to say. He does a lot of stupid things, like his goal celebrations are generally. I was going to say his, his celebrations are usually crap anyway. Yeah, so. like that that thing when he was mixing a bowl, mm. and everyone's like, "What did that mean?" And he was like, he couldn't really get the words out. And I wondered if he was actually trying to do some kind of like, "Wow, Ellen Road's really noisy. I'm so excited. I have to put my fingers in in, in my ears and thought everybody's going to love this." But actually, he did it completely wrong and made it look like he was. Mm. I can't decide. He doesn't seem that like the vicious type where he would be trying to have a go. That's not really anyone. vicious though. That's just petty. sort of arrogant and petty. He's not good enough to be <clears> arrogant. <throat> he's not. He must know that he's not clever enough. I mean, we've spoken about O'Kane before, but he's been dreadful as well recently, Ruth. Although, yeah, he's, yeah, I don't think he's a winger at all. But still, he's been stinking the place out. Yeah, that derby game was possibly his peak of awfulness. I'm not sure. We'll come on to it. Well, we may as well move straight on to <laughs> it because um, the only other highlight from the, the Bristol game was. Again, Pablo Hernandez driving through me. I think this might have been actually, as a contrast to Kimar Roof, Pierre-Michel de Saga literally dragging players away from celebrating goals to go and start the game again whilst he's waving his hands at the East stand. This was a game where I really liked him. Whereas after the Newport game, I wanted to, I would have driven him back to Hamburg myself. He's just, I think he's just got a strange personality as Lasaga because when he first came in, we had all these reports of him having to crap attitude and he's not gonna he's not gonna do anything for you basically and he, he came and I think it was the Burton was his first game wasn't it yes and he looked brilliant and everyone's like oh this guy's great and he was he looked to be fairly mobile he was chasing stuff down and then it's like when we got bad he got bad and seemed to lose interest and then we now we've got a new manager and he seems to be bothered again so I'm just I'm worried that he's gonna drop off again mm-hmm. at some point I think he might know when he has to turn it on mm-hmm. is my worry a little bit and he got uh, another goal at Derby, where we did actually, we took the lead, despite, um, as pointed out, we Played did. him off the park. Well, <laughs> they played us off the park. I don't think we really had, I mean, we mentioned Kimar Roof. It was nine touches or 11 touches mm. in an hour. There was some talk of him having like a calf injury. I think that was bollocks in, in the end. I think he maybe had a wounded pride after everybody picked on him for scoring. So a 1-0 lead through... Um, Let's just enjoy that goal for a second. A raking long pass from Liam Cooper from wing to wing. Instant assessment of the situation from Stuart Dallas to volley across. And then uh, Pierre-Michel Lasaga fighting his way through defenders to get to the, the ball. I don't know. They just actually they just stood and watched him. I was wondering what they thought was going on. And the training ground header past Scott Carson. Cooper loves that pass, doesn't he? That's the only pass he's got. He tries it every game, whether it's on or not. But it was nice to see it come off for once. And especially after um, half an hour in which there had been no beauty, <laughs> nothing to enjoy. Um, how many goals should Derby have been ahead by? It's hard to say because, I mean, the Championship, you expect people to miss some chances. But this should really have been a couple up, surely. Who do you think was more drunk? <laughs> Marius Saliukas at Hillsborough or Lawrence de Bock at Pride Park? 
Yeah, he's not he's not been so bad until that game, had he? Well, he had obviously <laughs> hadn't had as much to drink until that game. Yeah, it was it was bad. It was really bad. Tony Capaldi levels of bad. Um, hard to really make a case for him. Mm. The outfield Rahubka. After I must admit, watching that game, I did feel like can we just put him in a cupboard until next season? Because I feel like the more he plays this season, if he has any other performance like that, he's going to be written off completely. And mm. it's that it's that thing of once Leeds fans turn against the player, and if they can't really hack it, it gets a bit. Tony Capaldi, as you've said. <laughs> in fact, I think Heckingbottom's actually done quite well on this because when he, he's seen when people have had a complete mare and like he did it with O'Kane, he's done it with Roof, he did it with Debock, he's like, get him out of there. Mm. Yep. They don't need a second game <laughs> yeah. of this because a second game of being that bad, you're pretty much done. Yeah, like, so it's like people are just, people's opinion is set then. If you have two really bad games in a row, it's just you are shit. Yeah. We've spent you're not three million on you, it. we can't do that. Or yeah. we spent on him, but. He said that in uh, one of his press conferences that he's. He's trying to work out what all the players are like, which ones are good, which ones are bad. So he's pulling them out immediately and it's like, well, I've got somebody else that I'll try um, until he gets a, a fixed idea. He's obviously not got many options in goal, but is there an element with Dubox turning to drink before <laughs> games? And also Cooper was pretty terrible um, at certain moments in this one, certainly for the first goal, where it comes down to the goalkeeper, where if, if our back four had any confidence whatsoever in Felix Viedvald, they wouldn't be making so many mistakes. Yeah, it would. It would help, undoubtedly. You and can tell in this game that after he came so far out of his goal for the previous game, he was like, I'm going to stay on my line constantly. I'm not going to come off this line, which just did not help at all. And for the second, well, the corner that led to the second goal, like that's just the most basic bit of... It, just, it was a catch. If he'd shouted for it, it would have just dropped straight into his arms and he kicks it upfield and we win. You could see Cooper was annoyed at him about it and it's just such basic bit of goalkeeping he's just shouting at things Sunday league keepers shout for things he's like he's really timid and they never quite like say the defenders never quite know if he's going to come for stuff or not it's weird how you can change the personnel in a team and it may as well be Silvestri and Belushi back there (laughs) just ignoring each other and running into each other Uh, the problem is the alternative is Andy Lomigan and we know he's not very good either no arguably Uh, worse and the other alternative is throw a keeper in who's been sent back from a couple of loan spells and has never played yeah Mm. let's break him come on (laughs) we have Mirzic the kid we signed from Poland who has he played a few games in the extra class eh? (laughs) <laughs> I'm well, well pleased with how I pronounced that um, but yeah when I looked into that when he signed I think he conceded something like 12 goals in his three three first appearances that they threw him in the <laughs> so I'm tempted to think that that child may not be the answer either we just need to buy a good goalkeeper in summer do you think in the meantime we maybe need to lay off Fiedveld a little bit because I find it quite tiring after every game to just be hearing about how shit he is so I know I know he's not it's great. The, it's really hard to ignore when he's a goalkeeper, mm. though. Because mm. if it's just a left winger being shit, you can be like, oh, you know, look at his stats. I didn't beat the fullback once or whatever. I mean, it sounds quite bad. But when you can say, no, he was directly responsible for us losing, then it's, there is no hiding place. Well, we drew this one, at least. <laughs> um, because once Kimar Roof was finally removed from the fray, the return, the resurrection, the second coming, oh. back... Back from out of his cave, the relief wiping the uh, the phlegm from his chin, a new man reborn, Samu Saiz. Good to have him back. 
part, part of me before this game thought, do you know, the absence of size hasn't been the problem because Pablo's been so good. But then you see him come on, he's just so much better than everyone and he makes everyone better. And I was thinking, I was—I mean, Forshaw has, has been really good for us recently, but you must just think, for Forshaw now to look up and see Saez and think, fucking hell, he's really good, I can pass it to him now, rather than Kmar Roof. Um, I mean, that second goal as well, it was just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. It's just so enjoyable to watch. He's always available and he always does something with it. He mm-hmm. he doesn't just tick possession over like a lot of our midfielders do. He actually he gets it and he'll beat two or three men more or less every time he gets the ball. And just having someone on who can do that just means other players have to move to try and tackle him, which creates loads of space for other people. He just completely changes the game for us. Was, and he's far too good for us and we don't deserve him. <laughs> it was really exciting when he, he came on, I think his second, his first or second touch, all he did was take the ball and turn. But suddenly... The whole Derby end of the pitch looked open and Mm. there was stuff and things he could do that he was going to go and do that hadn't been the case. I mean, like you say, I've been thinking maybe that's not been the reason, but then you realise, like, what a rut we've been in with Kimar Roof having nine touches and then you bring a player on and all he does is just turn around, (laughs) bright eyes, and, um, and every now and then Derby fall apart. Well, they didn't really fall apart. They did fall apart for that goal. They gave... Alioski two chances and I think that said something as well about how little confidence he has been playing with without Saez but then also how he does have the determination to go like oh fuck this up but I'm going to score anyway probably harder to score with that header than it was to have just scored mm. in the first place I was really pleased for Alioski because I think he's a really good player and I know he's been he's been you can tell he's really been really low on confidence and he does go to ground too easily but I think his ceiling of talent is much higher than most of the players in that squad. And he works really hard as well. I think people see him and they see his haircut and they see his name and just think he's he's that winger, falls over a lot. Mm-hmm. But he really grafts. So I think and we know he's a good player, so I was really pleased for him to get that goal. And it was nice to see Janssen just throw him in the air as well in celebration. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. It's like a little rag doll. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's something I, I thought of this from the uh who did we play? Bristol, Pablo Hernandez went down. Um, under a challenge, rolling around with his uh, his hands on his head, um, and a lot of people saying, "Well, he didn't get touched in the face." But I absolutely supported that because the referee had given us absolutely nothing all game. So Hernandez was like, "You know what? I'm going to make sure I get this free kick by hook or by crook, and if I have to cheat, I will do it." And I think there's been an element of um, Alioski trying to get used to that. He doesn't. Him and Saez don't really dive, but when they get kicked and they feel like they should have a free kick they make sure it's like referee look at this although say say he's actually gets fouled an awful lot and doesn't doesn't get free kicks for it he's pretty much always being held yeah and because and his problem has been that he keeps turning around to the referee and swearing at them for not giving him a free kick when he'd probably be better just going down and pretending to be injured there's a point in the Brentford game where he was not one of the ones where the referee played should have played advantage but some other point in the in the game he was breaking forward and you could see from the cop that he had the Brentford defender basically had two arms hooked under his under his arms and was holding him back. And the ref was watching it and just was like, fine. Yeah. <laughs> no issue here. Well, that referee, moving on to the Brentford game, Dean Smith of uh, the boss of Brentford reckoned that that referee was biased towards Leeds. Is mm. that your view, Michael? I've not watched it back, but mm. that was certainly not the impression I got at the time. No. Uh, when he was pulling us back when we were through on goal. And just generally giving us nothing, as I remember. Things like the... You know, Saez being rugby tackled it was very inconsistent with bookings as well. Yeah, he booked two of our players early on, didn't he? And you think, well, fair enough then. If you're going to do that, then you book every tackle pretty much. 
And then immediately after they did a bad tackle, and it's like, no, no, that's, that's just a free kick, don't worry. But we won. Yeah. Leeds United <laughs> won a game of football. It's the first game that we've won in 10 matches. I didn't think it was very exciting. No, it wasn't. For 30 minutes, they just dominated and we couldn't get the ball. And I can't believe that we went ahead. But then that goal really changed things. We sort of got up and at them a bit. Um, and the second half was a lot more even. It was nice to see. The thing is, we've been playing like a team that's not won in 10 games. Maybe it takes a little bit of something to, to get them believing and to get the other team under a bit of pressure as well. It takes a Liam Cooper goal. It does. You finally got one. Jason Pierce. How... <laughs> What relevance does Jason Pierce have? He here? had the 50p ad thing. It's it's just so similar. I wonder if uh, how Gianni Vio felt going <laughs> to to bed that night, thinking finally that wanker has not ruined <laughs> one of my intricate free kick routines. A good goal, a great cross from Alioski, back on it, and then a, a perfectly directed header into the far corner. I like how um, Dallas won this free kick as well. Because he got the ball and it was the first time he'd had the ball phrase and he looked up and it was like, oh, there's nothing on here. I'm just going to run for the corner, barge a few players out of the way, fall over, yeah. win the free kick. Luke Ayling would have been very yeah, proud. Yeah, it's very Ayling. Watching that one. And it was, uh, yeah, the goal seemed to... There'd not been much sign of Saiz before that, but then in the second half when Brentford were coming at us, I'm still really annoyed that we got pulled back for Blasoga's chance mm. for a so-called advantage. I was looking forward to him shooting from probably too far out, but somehow still scoring. <laughs> the thing with Saez in this game, it wasn't actually one of his better games, but just having him on the pitch just makes it, just changes games, because all of a sudden there's someone in our team that the other team have to worry about. And Mark, and even when he gets the ball in tight spaces, he's, he can do little things with it, even if it's not necessarily setting up goals or scoring. He just keeps things, he just keeps the ball for us and makes creates holes in defences where Kimar Roof doesn't. Where Kemar Roof is more like a hole in our attack. <laughs> exactly. Are we saying then that after four games of the Paul era, that Leeds United should not really have bothered replacing Thomas Christensen with Paul Heckingbottom, but should actually have just given the head coach's job to Samu Saiz and let him be player coach? Mm-hmm. I'm aboard of it. Is that where we've been going wrong? Is that where we will continue to go wrong until Saez is out of manager? It might be the one thing that stops him from being bought by Stoke in the summer. Is we say oh, to him, don't like, say we, that. Don't even just talk. <laughs> we, won't go to Stoke. we can't offer you much more money, but you can be the manager. <laughs> you might stay for that. I'm willing to give anything a try. We need to keep him. Would you, uh, would you replace Heckingbottom at this point? You said he's had half a Milanic. <laughs> is the, the sands of time running out on him? He's more arsed than Milanic. You got the impression was just waiting to be sacked from the moment he arrived. He was like, ah, I'm not even unpacked. <laughs> just, just, just in, I'm just in the Ibis. Heckingbottom hasn't, Won't even, be long. Heckingbottom hasn't even moved house. He's just true. changed his commute. That's true. I, I quite like him so far, I have to say. I think he's... Um, I quite like the thing, he's, how ruthless he's been with team selections. Ruthless. <laughs> um, but and the, yeah, getting people out of there when they've been completely shit. Talks quite sensibly, but not in a an overly Warnocky man in a pub kind of way. Mm. Um, but he's just kind of honest about things. So I mean, he's he's at that point where you're willing to give him a chance because you know from managers in the past they can seem quite sensible. But if you've been crap and you've lost like six in a row, whatever they say, there's nothing you want to hear, is there? Really? Yeah. He has been quite sensible. Whatever's happened, he's just gone. Well, we lost at Sheffield United. He said, "Well, I only had a week," and then 
Bristol and the Derby results. He kept it quite on the level, where he's just like, there's nothing, there's nothing really to worry about. I can see things that are getting better. I've not been able to sort the defence out yet. I'm working on it. He's not raised expectations. He's not yet said he wants to die with his players or anything, which Christensen was <clears throat> fond of. That was good. I loved that from Christensen. <laughs> and the other one was um, uh, when he said about Chris Wood leaving. Uh, that it, they were both inspired by Wood. I think he was. He only wanted. Players who wanted to be here, these are my players, for them I will die. And then I think it was the other one where it's like, does does it matter if a player's leaving because we're all going to die anyway? <laughs> like, I was well into that. We might get, we might drive Heckingbottom to that point um, sooner rather than that's later. That's what most fans are like anyway, now, aren't they? After a game, it's like, well, what's the point ultimately? Yeah. It all ends the same. Did uh, We needed a win, but we've got it now. Does that fill you with confidence for the rest of Paul Heckingbottom's time here? Yeah, it's, it's nice to get that monkey off the back. Although we're, we're actually a bit too close to the playoffs to my liking now. I kind of like that he's just already looking ahead to next season. Yeah. So he, even he's trying to dampen expectations. Part of me would quite like our playoff hopes to be dead now and then he can just um, look ahead to the next season and work out who he wants. Whereas now he's still a little bit riding on it. Well, he can't, as we said at the start, he can't just throw the kids in yeah. yet. We can't give... Dent and a run and Bailey Peacock Farrell and he can't just completely fuck roof off just <laughs> well yeah well that might be the key to ending our our playoff hopes is bringing roof back in we'll preview what's coming up towards the end of the podcast but this run this brilliant run that we've been on it has of, been it's uh, been a horrible start for hacking bottom you have to say <clears> in terms of the games teams we traditionally do badly against these are all pointless teams essentially every season we seem to lose every game against these lot and bearing in mind that our team was becoming traditionally bad like that that was setting in as a, a new tradition but they are somehow well we're still only 11th in the table but if we beat Middlesbrough on Friday night that'll put us two points from sixth going into the weekend putting all the pressure on Bristol City and the other teams that are between <laughs> us and them uh, we don't need to worry about them there's only Sheffield United who beat us Brentford we drew with we'll be fine champions here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Speaking of managers we've loved and lost, Paul Heckenbottom's not quite in that category yet, but Thomas Christensen... Since we last recorded, I think it was the weekend afterwards, he finally said his farewell. We were wondering if he was just going to disappear into the, uh, go quietly into that milky night. Um, Milanich I've got, I've got style. That, I've got that quote completely wrong. But, um, but he didn't. He put a, a photo, uh, a message up on Twitter saying um, as follows. I did not want to leave without saying goodbye to you, the fans. You are the most precious treasure of this wonderful club. Managers, players, directors and presidents may change, but you are the ones who remain together and united. Your passion and requirement for success just symbolises your strength. Thank you for all your support. M.O.T. That was nice. Yeah, it's good of him to send a recording over of him reading that out. I got quite emotional when I read that. Yeah, I liked him. He seemed like a nice guy. He looked nice in Kappa stuff in the early 90s. What more can you say about the man? I liked him. how <laughs> he wants to be remembered. <laughs> well, he has had some more to say in the Danish press, asked about how the job had gone. Probably sum up his answer by saying, went a bit shit at the end. By saying, well, well. Yes, if you aren't following at emov1 on twitter.com, he did a very good video of all the times. Well, not all the times, some of the times that Thomas Christensen said. Well, it's very good. Yeah, and his reasons, uh, summing up his reasons for why he lost his job, basically, our best player, Samuel Saeed, got a red card for spitting the end. Um, there was, uh, he did say that the, um, he was the most important player in the offensive part of the game, and we couldn't afford to buy a new one, which is a little bit worrying. Um, the squad just wasn't big enough for us to re- replace He has ignored uh, transfer players. windows there as well, because you can't just buy players all the time. No, but we did. It was the first of January, I think, when Saeed. Suppose you don't. You know, do you buy a new player that's replaced one? Yeah, that, suspended. I, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, it's so. like when players get injured and people go, "Well, we need to buy a new left back." So, well, but yeah. he'll, he'll get back soon. Well, as, as <laughs> and what do we do? As we've seen, we just had to wait for Saeed to come back, and nothing bad happened in the meantime. <laughs> um, I think his point might be that there's not enough money sloshing around for a squad that might have two players as good as Samuel Saeed. We can only ever have one. It's a complete fluke that we've got a player as good as Saeed. <laughs> Are you not putting it down to Victor Orta's weapons-grade contacts book? Well... His Wikipedia-like knowledge of football. He does deserve some credit for Saeed, because none of us have heard of him. The other things that Christensen uh, had to say about his time, he'd like uh, the club to be more patient with Paul Heckingbottom. And he says that uh, when I got fired, we were seven points from the playoffs, and that's not really bad. And while money isn't everything, it's not as easy for the club to go up as some think. I think he seemed to have wandered into a bigger job than he expected in some ways. We're saying, that was seven points off the playoffs, it's not too bad. But I think he realises it, because what I liked about his um, emotional farewell was when he said, what is it, your passion and requirement for success just symbolises your strength. I think any anybody who comes out of Leeds United and recognises that there is a requirement for success among the fans has got it. They've understood, even if they couldn't deliver. 
I mean, you say there's a requirement for success, but there's still 30,000 people turning up who've been watching complete shit for 15 years. So, you know, the requirement's not strong that we'd actually withdraw custom. I mean, he's right. It's it's a horrible place to be, really. Yeah. I won't want to work, <laughs> I won't want to work there. He, uh, he's described it as a good learning experience um, and a good time. Um, in Spain, they say to be a good coach, first you have to have been fired. And this was the first time I was fired. Now I want to be a little free get some rest and come back well. I don't come know back well. <laughs> um, so he's going to relax. Um, meanwhile, Andrea Ratrizzani uh, said about him... Has hung him out to dry. Yep, wish he'd never set eyes on him, the bastard. He cursed him from all the way from Cyprus to Barcelona. Did and Not quite. He said, um, anything that doesn't work is a mistake. So yes, I did make a mistake. I apologise to the fans and the club... Um, and for my experience, I need to learn and analyse better my choice before making it. I'm not sure that he needed to be quite as... I mean, there are paragraphs that I've pasted into our sheet here of what he had to say about Thomas Christensen. Much of it seemed a bit unnecessary, and certainly apologising for appointing him may have been misinterpreted. He was like, oh, that's not quite what I meant. But his explanation did kind of say, no, that is what I meant. I'm sorry I ever set eyes on him. Yeah, I'm quite um, conflicted on things like this because on one hand, I don't actually like chairman really speaking that much. I think the less you hear from him, the better. But then having said that, we have had chairman like Ken Bates and Chilino and GFH where you want rational answers, um, but you're not really going to get them. But on this, it just seemed a little bit unnecessary. Just thank him, say it didn't work out, say it's a shame. He tried his best, you tried your best, move on. You don't need to go into it. We apologise I deeply. wanted to sack him sooner, kind of thing. Like, Yeah, I mean, it, um, I agree with you that it's kind of... This is the rationale for why he ended up going. It's all explained and it's nice to, to know, but at the same time, it probably just goes a little... I've noticed it's with Radritzani. He gives a good answer, but then he feels like he has to keep explaining it, and the more he starts explaining things, the less you feel like you wanted to hear about all this stuff. Mm, I do like the way he referred to Newport as a shame game. We had to have a shame game. It could yeah. be like a Sky Sports branding thing, you know, where they have, like, Rivals Weekend, Red, <laughs> Red Monday or whatever the shit they put out this week. Leeds United, just shame we're, game. We're never Leeds. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that should just be what's on the new crest when we finally get round to it. <laughs> Instead of uh, the words Leeds United, we just have shame game. Yeah, Thomas Christensen would not be drawn on uh, what Andrea Ratsuzani had to say about him for contractual reasons. <laughs> So that's possibly not the... I mean, they're all being publicly quite quite nice about it, and I think he's he's moved on from the fact that Radrizzani has kicked him up the arse as he went out the door. Interesting, though, that Victor Orta was defending Thomas Christensen against uh, the sack. Um, convinced me to hold on and give him one more, one more, one more extra chances, but at the end, something was missing. Not, maybe not the bastard he's made out to be, then. Well, we heard from the bastard... Because <laughs> um, Andrea Rajatani, after sacking Thomas Christensen, did do uh, the Phil <clears> Hay, <throat> and I think, was he on Sky as well? He did a few interviews explaining it. And then they came up with the Q&A, the famous Q&A that he had promised to an irate fan on a Saturday night that, and then possibly instantly regretted. But went through with, I think a lot of people, I never expected it to be a fans forum, like a ticketed event. I had a feeling they were going to do some kind of uh, thing like this. I didn't expect it to be quite so jolly, hashtag ask LUFC, but we did on Monday lunchtime get to see Tom Kerwin 
interviewing uh, Andrea Rajitsani, Victor Orta and Angus Kinnear, asking the tough questions that had been uh, sent in and then randomly chosen from, from Twitter. How, how did you feel about the random selection of questions, Rob? Yeah, when Rob Green's the first question, I couldn't actually believe when I saw that on the Twitter, on because I was following it when uh, I think Phil A was tweeting it out. I thought the first question, they would be clever enough not to actually start on something of substance rather than Rob Green, which just seems like a long, long time ago. It was, yeah, it does. It seems amazing that people are still, one, banging on about it, but I suppose when Felix Viedvald has just basically thrown the ball on his net, um, that's going to happen. It's watching it, it looked like they were trying to make a little bit of a statement of intent because it's the one thing that everybody's gone about. Why did Rob Green go? Why did, why did Rob Green go? So they were First question, we're going to ask them, why did Rob Green go? Tough, in with the, we're not going to hide from anything. That sort of set the tone where they, there were a lot of questions I guess people wanted answers to, but most of them were questions I think had been asked and answered. The thing is, with, with Rob Green as well, people aren't really asking a question. People are saying, why is Felix Viedvald so crap? Yeah, we preferred Rob Green to him, just so yes. you know. We prefer. We'd like to have a, a better goalkeeper, please. <laughs> Can you just undo that? We just go back to last season, and I keep I, because Rob Green does keep coming up. Rob Green had a chance this season. He had a game against Newport County, and what did he do? He did a Rob Green. He did a Rob Green. He threw the ball in the back of his mm. own net against Newport County, and then swanned off for a pay rise and uh, less games. He's not. Has he played yet? No. Well, if you look. It was rumoured, I don't know how far I believe it, but um, if you look at the pattern, he doesn't tend to travel very far south to sit on their bench. They have another substitute goalkeeper who goes to places. So at Bournemouth, no Rob Green. Arsenal, where he played, where the stadium's beautiful, Rob Green. I think Swansea he didn't go, but Anfield he went. So And then home games, they kind of rotate it. So I think it's basically about they wanted him on the training pitch. Um, they wanted he's a decent backup, but also um, it was to suit him. Like if you're available, Rob, we've got a game on Saturday. Can't do it. Sorry. Where um, is it? Mm. Oh, I've got dinner at my mum's at four. Yeah, not going to get back for that, am I? So all of that, it, it definitely worked out for Rob Green. I think Rob Green was looking after Rob Green, and that's why he went and why he didn't fancy fighting it out with the. Because he could have seen off Felix Viedfeld. Yeah, it wouldn't have taken long, would it, really? So the so Rob Green was one thing. Uh, other things that we learned... Well, we didn't really learn this. Auto won't sign players without the coach's agreement. There's a whole... Perhaps it's worth reminding people, because Victor Auto is the, the current villain still. There's a 20-minute Ask Victor video on LUTV when he talks about all exactly the same stuff that people were asking him about, although he was quite fresh on the subject of the under-23s, um, pointing out all the good English players that they've signed for the academy that Ryan Edmondson is saying, can you do Victor Orta's voice? It's really I remember it. It's, it's like the Spanish Ken Bates, but drunk. <laughs> but it's really hard to kind of get to the, the timber I'll, of it. I'll, I'll, I'll try for You'll next time. You'll have to watch for next time. But he's <laughs> saying that we've got Ryan Edmondson is best striker in Yorkshire. And we, we bought him, and now he's captain of uh, the under-18s, I think, scoring goals for fun. So it's like we have, a, we have a bunch of good English players. We're signing foreign players to play with them. Don't want to lose Saez or Pontus, but can't force them to stay. Lasso- signing Lasogga will be expensive. The Pablo contract situation is weird. Um, Elland Road will be developed at some point. They were asked about um, why they weren't selling 10-year season tickets, which seemed like the wrong season Cause, ticket. Because no one does. 
and uh, and when it came onto the subject of the crest, um, Andrea Richards only tried to make a joke, and then I think he suddenly realises, oh no, this was a serious thing, wasn't it? And uh, but basically went back to, no, we will have something very nice that you will all like. So, was, did this feel like a useful exercise? I want to go back. I want to go back to defend Arthur a bit, not because I have any particular affinity to him, but I think possibly he gets slated for being a bit. He's a bit too open with things. Like when they say, what happens if Saez wants to leave? And he yeah. kind of goes, well, he'd probably leave then. Because <laughs> yes. that is That's how it works. essentially <laughs> how it works. But fans don't want to hear that. No. They want to hear Ken Bates in. Fabian Delphi's going nowhere. Yep. And then we sell him anyway. And then we sell him anyway. So it doesn't actually make a difference. Ross McCormack. I, I will not sell Ross McCormack. Yeah. The words straight out of that man's mouth and then within a month he was gone. Yeah. Yeah, he's, and it, like when he came in, he was like, "English players are too expensive," which everyone actually agrees with if they think about it. But they don't want someone at the club to say it. It's like, "Oh, you give me cheap bastard." There is an element with him that pay fifth, pay six million pounds to Gary Medine, even though I think he's shit. There is an element with him. Throw him in the canal. <laughs> that came through in this again that he is quite an arrogant so and so. At one point, he cut off Andrea Ratchetzani. Was about to say something. He went. Mr. Chairman, please, I'm still talking. And he's like, <laughs> okay, that's that's bold. And he does, like, whenever he's asked... Because um, it's the question that he was answering that he's been asked before about why he's there um, for the scouting part of it. He's saying, well, our scouting network, our analytics team, watch 3,000 games a year. Our coach doesn't have time to watch 3,000 games a year. I don't want my coach watching these games. I want my coach coaching the, se- the team. And people don't like the my coach business. And it does come across a little bit as, like... You are a bit of a... I mean, the Wikipedia of football thing is a little bit like being chess champion at school. It's maybe his ego is beyond... He did say he expects Heckenbottom to work 20-hour days as well, which I thought, bloody hell. I mean, that's pretty... I thought that was... That was, a, that was with humour. Oh, right, OK. Because you, you went... Oh, yeah. That's on the Twitter. You I went off transcripts yeah. and I... Yes, it, they were kind of joking about um, how much work that a head coach already I thought that was maybe the, the Qatari influence, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 20 hours on a building site. <laughs> Um, in the hot, hot sun. No, there was there was an element of joy. And th- that stuff with Orta, again, it, it became annoying when it was Ask Victor all the time. But there had been this Ask Victor session where there's tw- if you want it, there was 20 minutes of just pure Victor Orta on the, they recorded off Facebook Live. So it's him holding a mobile phone, like a foot away from his face, explaining everything that he does or doesn't do or wants to do um, at Leeds United. And it seemed like some of that the concentration on what Orta does, the concent- like bringing Rob Green up again, meant that some of the harder stuff went by the by. So there weren't really any questions about the transfer window. Nobody said, why didn't we sign such and such a player? Because that was what inspired all this, was people getting angry about what was not happening in January. And there were no questions about January. What was interesting was uh, Lasaga is now a question. Are we going to sign Pierre-Michel Lasaga? Do we have a fee in place? Whereas I think... A month ago, it would have been, why the fuck did you bring Pierre-Michel Lasaga here? Why hasn't he gone back to Germany yet so we can have a good player? Instead, why didn't you sign Gary Medine and you signed this fool? Funny how it's gone mm. up and down. When we spoke to Kinnear, um, it was about a month or two into the season, he was suggesting that they wanted to make this all Lasaga as a potential long-term signing, didn't they? Um, so, I don't know. We'd hope there's something in place, if, be, providing we want him. I'd be so surprised if we signed him, just by his wages alone, mm. it seems. If he's on 50 grand a week at Hamburg, mm. by all accounts, he's got another year on that contract. He's going to have to take a pay cut to come here, you'd, you'd imagine. Plus Unless any. it's one of those 
Robbie Fowler well, situations yeah. where they just continue to give him half his money. I think we we may be counting on Leeds might be counting on Hamburg getting relegated mm-hmm. and needing to just get rid of that money. So it might be exactly that where they're just like, we can't continue to pay you this, so we'll have to take a pay cut wherever he goes. One of the things Radrizzani said about convincing, well not convincing, about why Janssen or Saez might stay is of trying to convince players Leeds is now a destination, not a passing through point. So that's why the changing rooms are now nice and they look after the players properly and the, there's water in the pool and stuff like this. So it actually feels like, oh yeah, Leeds is a club that's going places rather than just this Leeds is a club that I want to get as far away from as quickly as possible. But whether that's the difference between getting 50 grand a week and 15 grand a week, what what's money worth? Is it worth happiness? I the know. problem with Osoga is if he continues to do well and maybe has 20 goals by the end of the season, probably West Brom will buy him. Or someone, for example, who will come down from the Premier League and go, he got 20 last year in the Championship. Yeah, 50 grand a week, that's fine. What can possibly go wrong? And that's, I think the only other bit of interest at this was uh, Tom Kerwin trying to wrap up um, the whole interview at the end and uh, uh, Radrizzani saying, actually, I want to say one more thing because loads of people have been giving me grief on this isn't exact words. Loads of people have been <laughs> up in my grill on Twitter about where the wooden tailor money has gone. I'm going to tell you exactly where it's gone. Um, and it was just basically... On your mum. That's <laughs> exactly where it's gone. You can, uh, you can, you can watch that back on LU, um, LUTV to see... Uh, where has um, it gone? Your mum. <laughs> uh, no, it's gone on uh, transfer fees and wages. Oh, it's a bit boring. I know. I was hoping you would say, I've stolen it and I've given it all to <laughs> your mum. Exactly. I mean, I don't know. It, it was all quite a mild event, but I don't know what else people expected of course they were just going to pick the easy questions yeah and this is the thing tell like, people. like I say it's easy to think well it's nice on one hand that they're trying something at least but at the same time they're only going to say exactly what you expect them to say it's like yeah. with Heckingbottom we've said he said exactly what we expect him to say so what do you expect well they weren't asked um, as, uh, they got the yeah they were asked about why there weren't 10 year season ticket prices they weren't asked about why it's suddenly really expensive to renew for a first time renew. We have the new season ticket prices. If you've been locked in for too damn long, then you just renew at the same price it was before. But if you just got involved this season, you were all well excited by um, watching Sammy Saiz every week, then you renew at a higher price. This is all very strange. What's this? What's going on? It's just unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Is my first thought of it. Like, is it even because it won't even generate any more money, really? Because a few people will probably think, oh, that's a bit shit, and sack it off. And those people will just about be the cost of them doing that will probably just about be covered off by some people paying fractionally more, but it's just stupid. Yeah, I've got a friend who had a season ticket for years and years, and then Chilino was like the final straw, didn't get a season ticket, bought a season ticket for this season, and now he's going to have to pay. He's getting sort of punished for that, and, yeah. now he, and now he's just thinking, "Well, do you know what? I might not bother." Yeah, it's a lot of because a lot of people who were first-time ticket buyers this season were people who've come back, mm. and I don't think they've realised this. And it feels like this is another—it's—it's it's like a minor crest incident where they set up these fans panels and say they really want to talk to the fans and get to the opinions uh, of what the supporters want and think, but then they make a decision like this and don't actually bother talking to any of the fans about it, just go like, oh, we've just introduced this new tier. That's exactly what they should be talking to. Mm. The fans' panels that they themselves, the supporters' advisory board that they wanted are the people to, who would probably say, 
oh yeah, actually, I think a lot of people will be annoyed about that because of this. And they might go, oh, didn't realise that because we only turned up six months ago. Thanks for telling us. <laughs> Own goal avoided. Instead, they just um, they stick it out. There are very cheap tickets up at the back of the East Stand. Good atmosphere, right? I, the one time I've been, I was on the back row of the East Stand upper for, I think it was the, it was either the Tottenham or Chelsea League Cup games, and it was cracking. However, um, the roof was leaking, so bear in mind there was a very dirty gutter. And there were some there. people. There were some people around you, I assume. For those there games. were loads of people. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, why else would I be on the back row yeah. of the yeah. stand up? As a comparison, I don't have the, the money here, but have you seen Nottingham Forest's mm. junior mm. prices? What is it? Something like ten quid, it's like three or a pound or two pounds. Well, it's <laughs> pennies. It's I think it's something like ten pound for a season ticket for like a ten-year-old kid or something. Yeah. That's mental. Why can't we have that? I mean, that wouldn't help me. I don't have any ten-year-olds, but it sounds like the kind of thing that those stewards are very—they're very, they're very slack. Checking tickets. It's cheaper. You could buy a buy a forest season ticket and just use it for one of the play leagues. That's a good point, actually. That's absolute genius. <laughs> <laughs> right, everybody logging on to uh, it's nffc.co.uk. Um, we mentioned January and the transfer w- window. We signed. Tyler Roberts, who uh, sadly this week has announced his retirement mm. from football through injury. Happy memories of Tyler Roberts in a lead shirt, Michael. Yeah, is he is he um, sort of this year's Ngoy? Do you remember we signed him? Uh, did he play once? I Maybe we, twice? I can't remember. Yeah, I think we spent considerably less on Ngoy. Yes, Probably true. Got more value for money. Yeah, mm, very leads. Very leads. This. Yeah. Is there anything else you can say, really, apart from the fact that we have just we've we've scuppered the career of a good young player? Well, I quite like. I was listening to something recently, and they were saying a, a player is never as good than that period when you've just signed him and before he's actually played, mm. because before then you don't know like the bad stuff about him. You've not picked up on his faults, so we've just got that prolonged period now until he actually does play. He will by the time. I mean, if if things keep if Kemar Reef keeps playing the way he's playing. Then by the time Tyler Roberts is fit, he will be messy, essentially, yeah. on reputation. Paul Heckingbottom dropped in an interesting thing in one of his pre-match press conferences where he's talking about Andy Lonergan being injured with a sore neck and Kimar Roof having a tight calf and all this stuff. And he said, a lot of the players are struggling to adjust to my new training methods. Well, he's injuring them all because they, they're not used to the training that they're doing. I like that idea, he just battered Lonergan around the head. <laughs> Giving him a good old-fashioned clip around the ear and he's put his neck out. I might almost imagine that would have been Felix Viedvald sabotaging him, but he probably would have missed, wouldn't he? He's not going to be able to whack anybody. So Tyler Roberts, um, it was good to have him here. Hopefully, maybe we can get the money back on the insurance, perhaps. Something from our past, Eleonora Sport Limited, the limited company, not the limited intellect daughter of our former... Owner, they put their accounts out this week, um, revealing how much money they extracted from Andrea Ratrizzani for the privilege of buying Leeds United. This is we owe Mike Thornton um, off of Twitter and um, his website. Uh, this, in brief, Eleonora Sport, aka Massimo Cellino, spent forty-one point five million pounds buying Leeds United. They got £36.5 million up front from Radizzani for selling Leeds United. They'll get a million per year for the next nine years. The profit is a bit difficult to work out. The headline is that they basically sold it for £3.5 million more than they paid for it. But because of the way it's being structured, they're basically making £1.2 million. Um, and £515,000 of that is management fees that they charged before selling it. So they, they made the club pay them for running it, essentially. 
Um, so they got, they basically made half a mil. Football clubs are glorious, aren't they? <laughs> Surely. You can buy them, charge them for your own work, mm. however poor the quality of it is. I mean, in fairness, 515 grand is relatively reasonable given the amount that um, GFH spent on management fees and That's that Ken Bates spent on other, as it was in the accounts. Could ITV there... subscription, wasn't it? Things like that. Yeah, broadband, like five grand a month or something. It was, to... We can legally confirm that it was the private jet that he got done for. That, mm. um, um, the other stuff is pure conjecture based on rumours. <laughs> uh, I'm saying for any lawyers who, who may uh, be listening, there must have been easier ways for Massimo Cellino to have made mm. a million quid in three years than putting us through all that. That's what I took away from this. Is that it? If he'd walked away with 10 million, I would have been furious, but at least I would have said, you know, well done. Yeah, because he was rich anyway. Mm. Like if, if one of us three made a million pounds of profit on something, I imagine we'd be quite pleased with it. He had several million anyway. He's quite bother. All that grief. Yeah. He didn't even look like he enjoyed it. No. He had to hang out with Terry George day in, day out. Yeah. Got to meet Vern Troyer. I suppose that's one upside. Is it worth it? Mm. In a way, it kind of shows something, I suppose, about the way Chilino was running it, because he wasn't really extracting that much money from it. He kind of wanted to do it for something to do, mm. but then also thought, well, it does kind of owe me a living as well. It underlines that he bought Leeds United and then realised that he'd fallen into a massive black hole of financial uh, disastrousness um, left by previous owners and spent the next three years basically making trying to get out of it. Mm. So to have done that and come up with a million quid is not bad going, but it's certainly not, perhaps not what he thought he was going to, he was getting into. Um, anyway, Brescia have actually won, uh, I think they won three games in a row, um, got them up to the heady heights of 14th and he's resisted um, replacing the coach with the previous coach, which he was, he was warming up for a little while. He's had to cool his boots there. So that ownership is no longer our, our problem. Our new ownership, well, not really our ownership, who knows? Who knows what our link to Aspire Academy? That's something that didn't come up on hashtag AskLUFC. But there was some evidence of the link-up being worthwhile because our under-18s went out to Qatar and they beat a team. They beat the Aspire Academy and they beat a team from China um, and they won the Tri-Series. I think the under-16s were out there as well and also I think an under-21s team, but they didn't win their cups. But yes, an actual real tournament backed with actual real... Uh, brainwashing. There's some lovely photos of our youth teams being dr- taken around the Aspire facility being shown. These really kind of quite sinister looking androids. I mean, I'm sure they're real people, but they had the air of androids carrying iPads, showing them like huge uh, touchscreen displays of why FIFA and Qatar uh, are uh, beneficial. What is it? Beneficial to the societal society? benefits was what they were being taught about. Of the Qatar World Cup bid, I believe. But yeah, I think there was a few things which might have not been mentioned as part of that. Don't go in that room! <laughs> yes. What are those people building over there? They're fine. Why are there ambulances? That's yeah. Don't, don't be daft about ambulances. Just sling them in the hole. Um, Rob, you spoke to somebody about Aspire this yeah. week. So I spoke to James Montague, who has written a book called The Billionaires Club, um, which is all about sort of the rise of the not even rich owners, just the super rich states and things in football. He was at the opening of Aspire in 2004, 2005, um, and he's covered it. He's been to Erpen, the Belgian club they own. He's, he's worked and covered the Middle East for about 13 years now. Um, and I think like many people, I was sort of looking at Aspire's link with Leeds and just struggling to work out why. I know people talk about 
expect an investment or a takeover. But I was just, I, so I spoke to him trying to find out more. And it was interesting sort of ringing him up, expecting him to tell me about how bad it all is and how worried we should be. And he was actually very calm and suggesting it might actually be a worthwhile link-up. It was very, I mean, to me it sounds, having spoken to him, he really dismissed the idea that there would be any investment or any kind of takeover. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, which, we wanted billions. Which at least we could have had the dirty money. But um, part of the reason, it's quite complicated, but in the Billionaires Club, the, the Aspire plan was never to take over a club in England, a high-profile Premier League club. Obviously, we're not a Premier League club, but we are high-profile and we want to be in the Premier League. So that's why they took over cultural ANAs, it's why they took over Erpen. Um, and also part of the reason why he doubts that now is because Qatar is under a blockade from other Middle Eastern states, which sounds a bit stupid, but it's actually limited their spending a little bit, which sounds ridiculous. I think they had something like $300 billion in reserve when that took uh, came into effect. In the two months after that, they'd burnt through $30 billion. Um, Only $270 billion. <laughs> Which, um, I mean, part of that was buying Neymar for £250 million. <laughs> Which they could have, so okay, they could have brought into Leeds, maybe. If you're tightening your belt, don't buy Neymar. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is not something that James said to me. Part of the reason I thought maybe a takeover or, or any investment might not be on the cards is that they already own PSG. If they look in England, they've got the best team in England right now is Man City, who are owned by Abu Dhabi. Are they going to want to go in competition with them in another country as well? Because that will only reflect badly on them when Leeds are not Leeds are not going to compete with Man City right now, and it's going to cost them a lot of money. But yeah, so James expected that it would just be a way of us getting players, young, talented players that are going to be raw um, as part of the Aspire Academy that are going to come from Africa. Which you know it, that might be the case. Hmm. Um, we obviously know part of Alta's plan is to get young foreign players on the cheap. So that would sort of be in line with that. But that's complicated as well, because we've seen how difficult it is for Idaguchi to get a work permit. So it's not going to be... I can't imagine there's going to be this massive influx of players from Africa and from yeah. Qatar that are going to flood our team. It seemed like we made Idaguchi a difficult situation. I think mm. he was, the Football League wouldn't register him if he couldn't have a work permit. So he's got one. Yeah. We just decided to do this culturally and easy thing. Um, and the club has said all along that this is purely technical link-up, they have got fantastic training facilities. Ivan Bravo's our mate. Um, it makes sense um, for us just to use... We can send our youth teams over there and they get second to none mm. uh, training facilities. They talked about the medical facilities, so it could be that Tyler Roberts will actually play again because we can send him over there. Rebuild him. Yeah, we're rebuilding like Robocop. The, um, the fact it's called Ivan Bravo and it's, it's modern facilities makes me think of Ivan Drago <laughs> and Rocky Four. I imagine that's what they're doing over there, getting in steroids from Bridget. Nielsen. And the the, uh, the player exchange thing, I think where I worry about that with Aspire is that um, Aspire's aim is entirely for the benefit of Aspire and the Qatar national mm. team. They're not going to be sending us players for the benefit of Leeds United. No. Any players from there will come to us to benefit the national team because they don't want to be embarrassed at the World Cup in 2022. Well, the interesting thing on that, a lot has been written about Aspire's aim is to... Uh, developed players for the Qatar national team for the World Cup. But for players to come from Africa to then play for Qatar, um, I looked into it and they need to stay in Qatar for five years from the mm. point that, from being 18. So they're not going to send their players to us because that's going to break that run of years. Um, they'll probably first send them to Erpen where it's easy to get a European 
work permit in Belgium. The suspicion was that they were going to be bringing all these African players, nationalise them, mm. they would represent Qatar. They've said uh, in response to that that those players from Africa are to raise the standard so that the Qatari-born yeah. players, a little bit like what's happening with our under-23s, we give them better players to play with and uh, um, they will almost then just send them away yeah. after that, like they don't need them anymore. So it could be that we're getting... We're not actually getting the, the good Qatari players, we're I, just getting the African cast-offs yeah. that they don't need. So I think the point will be that you will probably see some African players arrive at Leeds, and if they do make an impact, Aspire will be able to say, look, that's a Aspire-trained player making an impact in England. Yeah. Aren't we great? That's the status thing, because they want Qatar yeah. to be seen as a place that develops the best it's sports all people ob- in It's the world. all obviously PR for them. Now, obviously the elephant in the room with all that is the, the horrible things going on with immigrant workers that died in their hundreds and have been sort of kept in that country. Um, I actually raised this with James and it was really interesting because James is a guy who's covered um, the Middle East for 13 years and he's he's covered these issues and he's been critical of them. Um, and he actually said there's a lot more nuance to it and it's not completely black and white, which really surprised me. And he, he spoke about how Qatar's now going through a massive reform of its uh, human rights and things like that. So that was really interesting to me because I think like most people just thought, you know, this is horrible and uncomfortable and it'd be nice if it just went away and Leeds weren't involved in it. So that sort of got me thinking. But then literally two days later, you see the tweet of a Leeds Academy side being shown around Qatar, being taught around about the societal benefits. And you just think, you know, it's just ugly. And it's... Yeah, uh, yeah there's, a, there's been a sense that the, the World Cup, having been won by Qatar, by, through questionable, again, we don't really need FIFA's lawyers on the phone, through controversial avenues, and then a lot of attention falling on what they've been doing, that they now actually are, oh, shit, we actually do need to seriously sort ourselves mm. out. And uh, and because so much of it is about positive PR and uh, making Qatar look like the best place going, they need to address these things. Mm. So they're not saving these people's lives out of the, good, the goodness of their hearts. Oh, no, yeah, it's completely because... The yeah. only reason they're doing that is because the World Cup there. And yeah, the and everybody's now noticed. Away. Yeah, But that does at least relieve some of the, the guilt, I mean, the residual guilt that I'd we ra- may or may not have. I'd rather the club come out and say, look, we're doing this to get players easily and cheaply. We know it's shit and it's horrible in yeah. modern football. I'd rather than saying, yeah, we're teaching us about the societal benefits. We just fuck off. Yeah, that part could be like... I mean, if a youth tournament in uh, Qatar and it looked like looking at the, the tweets from the actual players like they had the absolute time who of their were lives. We, who were we playing in this We tournament? were playing Aspire Academy themselves and a team from China whose name I'm, I've forgotten. <laughs> I never knew in the first place. But I will, because uh, I share possibly the cultural ignorance that um, Aspire Academy shares, or at least I think it was a Gulf Times report on the Tri-Series that had a quote from Aspire Academy saying, uh, this has been a fantastic tournament. Everyone's had a great time. Quote from Adam Underwood, the uh, Leeds Academy director, saying this has been very, very beneficial for our young players. That they've really enjoyed it. And then said, and the representatives of the Chinese club were also very pleased <laughs> because nobody speaks Chinese. Because look at their faces. Nobody knows. <laughs> Those what, lads are thrilled. Nobody knew what they were saying and could be bothered to translate it. Thank you for bringing us up to date on the situation oh. in the Middle East. I could be talking nonsense and we could be taken over in 2022 and have Xavi as manager, but, you know. How, how does it sit with, um, if they were to try and turn us into the next Man City, how does it sit with having PSG and Leeds under the same ownership? In terms of UEFA rules and things, I can't remember. It's different because I think this is where some of the... Watford um, would be similar, wouldn't it? I'm mm. guessing. Well, would it's the not troubled European competitions, well, yeah, I suppose. And, and Red, Bull, Red Bull have done it as well, I suppose. With... Aspire are not QSI, mm. I believe. Mm. So it's Qatari Sports International, QSI. 
own PSG, mm. but they're they're separate to Aspire, even though they're both technically owned by yeah. ultimately the state. Mm. Um, so it'd be, I guess, if we're talking nationalised industries, it would be like British Rail <laughs> and British Steel <laughs> owning clubs. They're completely separate, mm. um, but they're owned by the same. Well, like government. in Russia, where there's like a police club and a Dynamo, yeah, yeah all that Dynamo sort of Moscow. Yeah. Um, and Torpedo Moscow. The, Locomotive uh, the, and all that. All yeah. those. Um, More innocent times than the KGB <laughs> run football teams. You knew where you were with the KGB. <laughs> Friday night football, that's exciting, isn't it? It's better than Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. It's, it? in, it's in Middlesbrough, though. Middlesbrough on a Friday night, fancy it? Not really. I don't mean the football, I mean we'll just go out. <laughs> we're playing Middlesbrough, we are going up to the Riverside... Uh, no longer a monastery. It is now the home of Poulis Ball. Um, Middlesbrough are seventh. That means they're above us, just like half the league. Top scorer, Brit Asoma Belonga, is still the danger man. He's now got 12, just over a million pounds per goal. Are we excited about this must-win game? No one can be excited about Pulis. I forgot he was there, actually, to be honest. It's one of those that you think, oh, it's a minute. When you employ Pulis, you're basically giving up on life. Because all you're hoping for is to finish 15th in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. That's the limit of your ambition. A lot of people wanted him at Leeds. I didn't. <sighs> Did they? There was a lot of talk. Yeah. I think there was a misconception that he's an expert on winning promotion. I think he's only ever got promotion once. Yeah, I did find it interesting when they appointed him because, like you say, his specialist subject is staying up from the Premier League. It's mm-hmm. not actually getting... When did he got, last got promoted in what? 2008? Yeah, Stoke. Do you think he's going to get Middlesbrough relegated because he doesn't know what to do in the Championship? <laughs> I, can keep, I can keep clubs in the Premier League. I can beat Chelsea once every couple of seasons, mm. but I don't know what to do against Barnsley. Bomb out the division. Well, it's nice his arrival because they just give up on midfielders wherever he goes meant that we got Forshaw. Do you think Adam Forshaw will be coming into this game? A new father with something to prove to his new son and Tony Pulis. <laughs> <laughs> to both, yeah, I think. I think he'll be running to the... Uh, he'll score a goal and go running to the touchline. Have that, our kid. <laughs> whatever, whatever he's called, his child. Yeah. La, Terry. as well. <laughs> yes. Young Terry. Reference there for the, for the kids. Yeah, I don't know. It's Middlesbrough, isn't it? They're, mm-hmm. they're just, they'll probably go up this year because they've spent a load of money. Or they'll go up next year because they'll spend a load more money. And that's what they do. But so, then they'll come down again and they'll realise the whole thing was futile. But this, uh, for our hopes of going up, if we win this game, we will be two points away from sixth place at the start of the weekend. And we're putting the pressure on all the teams above us because they have to play over the weekend and they've got to do something to keep us down. If, we're, if we end the weekend having won this and Bristol lose and there's a two-point gap there, it's exciting, isn't it? I know, I know Rob doesn't want that. Oh, yeah, <sighs> of course. Rob, I, I wish our playoff dream was dead in... Fucking November. Well, partner, no, the hope which kills you is the most exciting part of football. But we know, don't we, how it ends? We know it ends with a glimmer of hope being shat on, and I'd just rather it be shat on now. So you're backing Middlesbrough for this? Well, no, this? I'll take a draw. <laughs> <laughs> well, a draw was all they could manage with Sunderland, so we must have a chance because Sunderland are fucking terrible. Properly bad. A yeah. properly bad team. We've still got them to come to mm. Ellen Road, haven't mm-hmm. we? So there's three points on our, uh, our March. Okay, we're going up. Our March we going? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd be quite happy with a draw. But, you know, we need to win. All out attack. And we've, it's the uh, the momentum from beating um, Brentford. It'll be interesting Two to wins see... in a row would be very interesting. I was going to say, it'll be interesting to see how we start this game because we're actually going into a first half 
having won a game, which we've not done in a very long time. Yeah. And earlier in the season, we actually seemed like an all right team. And it is noticeable that we beat Brentford without Forshaw, who's probably been our best player, one of our best players, without Pavlo, who's been one of our best players, without Dubok. That's probably probably a benefit. But it wasn't... I looked at that team before it, it played Brentford and thought, we're in trouble here because all our good players apart from... Maybe Saiz makes up for all of those players being out. At what point do we give Forshaw the captaincy? Now. Mm. Yeah, we all agreed on that, yeah. Yeah, cool. I, think, I mean, Cooper's a nice lad. <laughs> who, do, who do you put in mid, centre midfield with him? Anybody, I don't think it matters. <laughs> Anyone? Yeah. Um, I, no preference between O'Kane, Phillips and Vieira. Long term, Ronaldo Vieira will mm. be brilliant, but mm. uh, this season he's Vieira's, not on it. Vieira's another one like Roberts and Debocca. I'm kind of now just like, do you know what? Let's just get him right for next season. It feels a bit like Byron's second season where yeah. he was just overplayed in his first season, perhaps. Mm. And he's now, he's like, what? He went away in the summer with England and he's never really seems to have been fit. No. And his form and confidence just look shot now. So That's let's just give him a break. There. Another one where Paul has looked quite impressive because <clears throat> he said basically the same thing that he's had a word with Vieira and just gone like, what's up? And says he's maybe got carried, not got carried away, but he was so good last season that he's kind of gone further than he should have gone. And now he's back where he should be and he's not quite dealing with it. So time out of the team. I thought against uh, Brentford, Calvin Phillips played yeah, I as, well as, he, as mm. well as Calvin Phillips, Phillips might. Actually been Decent, I think, recently. I don't know if that's just because O'Kane's been so bad mm. that Phillips has come on and just looked instantly an improvement. But I think he's been all right recently. I would take Forshaw and Phillips. I think mm. Phillips can just run around. He was a pro- Brentford didn't like him. Like he kept, he wasn't as good at keeping the ball, but as Forshaw would be. But then none of our midfielders are. Mm. Um, but they didn't like him running at them and being annoying. Um, and he's up against uh, Housen, Ledbitter, maybe Clayton. I'm not sure which of the. Their midfield riches, Pulis has been has been favouring lately. Reprogramming to crick their necks Flick and it. just look upwards. Whoscored.com still seems to be bearing uh, the evidence of Gary Monk's time and not quite have recalibrated their statistics to the Pulis era because it does claim that their style of play is to attempt through balls often. Does it say the group attempt through balls? <laughs> If we can't make you happy losing to Middlesbrough, will you take a resounding defeat to first place Wolves at home? Uh, I've got a good friend who's a Wolves fan that's coming to this game, so I really need us to win, if that's okay. Well, we're not going to win. because <laughs> uh, Wolves are top of the league by about 25 <laughs> points. Jota and Bonatini both have 12 goals. Imagine two players there with 12 goals, and all the players have got loads of goals. Um, they lost to Fulham in the last game, so there's a glimmer of hope. But we Fulham can't... are on that bit of the season, though, aren't they? Where yeah. they, they turn really good. We can't pretend that Wolves aren't absolutely brilliant. We need something like 10 wins for the players. Do we just assume this isn't going to be one of them? From the, Judging by the away game, they absolutely destroyed us for the first half. Like We we looked more out of our depth in that game than we have in any other. I can't remember what score it was at halftime. Were they 2-0 up or something? At least. But we not really touched it. No. Or strung more than two passes together. As soon as we got the ball, they pressed us and won it back and then played about a million passes around us while we just stood watching it. I've got very little hope. <laughs> but, you know, it's a weird league though, the Championship. I mean, look, you've got these Wolves at, at the top who are obviously very good and have a style of play that you think would translate to a higher level. And then in second place, you've got Neil Warnock's Cardiff. Yeah. So. It's no wonder Thomas Christensen just <laughs> threw his hands up and went home, <laughs> really. Rob, given the gulf between us and Wolverhampton Wanderers that we have seen, 
Why have you agreed to watch this game with a, a, a Wolves oh, fan? Oh, I'm not no watching way. it. I'm not watching it with him. Jesus oh. Christ. Yeah. Okay. So I'll be purely for over end of the ground, um, burying my head in my hands, probably. But fair. In, but imagine though. I, I actually we think, like Michael, it could be just one of these weird championship nights where all logic goes out of the window and we beat them three and all. <laughs> right. So that's Rob's score <laughs> prediction: is Leeds United three, Wolverhampton Wanderers nil, which will set us up nicely for. A trip to Reading. Um, Reading, I've not realised until I looked ahead to this game, just how uh, much magic Yap Stam is actually working. Last year's playoff finalists are 18th with a negative goal difference, minus seven. They've lost 15 games of football this season. Who would have thought that just passing sideways at the back uh, wouldn't get found out straight away? What I love about Reading this season is their top scorer with eight goals is Mo fucking Barrow and their uh, top assist maker with four assists is Mo fucking Barrow. I think that tells you everything that Reading's best player is Mo fucking Barrow. Um, Are we excited? How many are we going to beat Reading by? I hope a lot. It'd be nice to get Stam sacked. Yeah. It's got to be close. I'm just hoping that he holds on until we go there and absolutely Mm. do them. Because the... uh, the Majetsky can be an angry place when, oh. uh, when that crowd turns. Oh. Oh, you can have that blogger going at us again. About... Oh, the one from Horsford. Yeah. Yeah, Reading, it's hard to get any strong feelings about them, really. I know there was some attempt to kind of whip up a bit of a thing last year because of Yapstam, but that's because we don't like Yapstam. Mm. As soon as he leaves. It would be nice to get him sacked when we know he's not going to be our manager as well. We've mm. got a manager now, so yeah. Manager. He had a weird bit of bitterness about that as well, didn't he? Recently, <clears throat> when he was, he said says something weird about oh they wanted me last year, but this year not. Well, yeah, whatever. Didn't want to go anyway. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, we have identified though the 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 main threat to us being able to beat Reading is Mo Barrow. Can we keep him quiet in this game? Mo Barrow up against Lawrence de Bock. Can we just move Berardi on that side and kill do, him? Do Berardi things? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, that's an option. Um, I would quite like to see Berardi just um, in in the home dugout, actually doing Berardi <laughs> things. Um, there, we have to beat Reading. I don't. I mean, I'm not sure I share Rob's absolute optimism about beating Wolves so so soundly, but I'm fairly confident that we can just do Reading away. Yeah, me too. Right. So that will give us three points from the Wolves game, uh, three from Reading. The the win over Middlesbrough um, following the Brentford match will have put so much pressure on the teams above us. We'll probably be what. Third oh, at the end of this run again. Bristol are falling apart. They, they are dropping rapidly. And Bristol falling away just opens up that little weak momentum once it starts. I mean, Cardiff haven't been great lately. Wolves lost <laughs> to Fulham and they're going to lose to us. Two defeats, they start to crack. And we're closing on them. They can feel our, our breath on their necks. Is that what you're thinking? That's what I'm thinking. Panicking. As we sang with absolute sincerity against uh, Brentford. Um, no, against Bristol. We're going up as fucking champions. Could happen. Could happen. Anyway, if it doesn't happen, um, we'll find somebody to blame um, and we will make them the villain of the podcast, no doubt. Can we blame Ken Bates for us not making the promotion at the end of the season yet or are we saving it? Uh, we can blame him for anything at any point. Is there anything in particular we want to nominate Ken Bates for the Ken Bates Villain of the Podcast Award? Uh, as, we, podcast? as we mentioned, management charges, um, his broadband bill. He, ch- he used to charge like say it was like two grand a year, didn't he? If it was broadband in his office, yes, it was a an office charge that was essentially his house in yeah. uh, Monaco that we were we were paying for. So we were paying for him, we were paying his rent, basically. Right. So Ken Bates uh, for being uh, for squatting 
Okay. Right. Who else? It's do we quite want an to... image. <laughs> Who else do we want to nominate for villain of the podcast? Felix. The cat. Mm. No, I mean the cat. I oh, mean, like the cat food cat. Oh no, him? the German. Oh, our goalkeeper. Yeah. The, you want to nominate Leeds United's goalkeeper as a villain? You traitor. <laughs> He's useless, isn't he? I st- I'm mm. like Rob. I like him. I don't want to be mean to Felix Wiedfeld anymore. I think it's like I like Christensen, though. I just sort of feel sorry for him by the end of it. Yeah. I think there's something there, but it's not happening. I, we have to nominate him. I mean, there was no defending. The goal against Bristol, mm. I thought he'd maybe been fouled, but then I looked at it on the replay and there was no... no. He seemed to think he could... He didn't go near any other no. players. He thought he could run through players and was also about two foot taller than he is. I've had those moments where you feel about <laughs> ten feet tall and everything's going your way and then suddenly... No, okay, so Felix Feedvald. Also, I suppose it's worth pointing out, we nominated him as a hero last time, so he should, he's worth a nomination for not living up to being nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, Can't handle the hero. pressure. <laughs> Clearly, in any sense. Anybody else who want to nominate? Villain? Uh, a personal gripe of mine, because I hate his face, uh, but Richard Keogh. Um, I think I've got a residual hatred of him from a few years ago. Just a memory stuck in the back of my mind of him. I'm sure it was like the third goal in a 3-0 win for Derby against Leeds. And it was in like the last minute and he seemed to go mental celebrating. And that image is still sort of burnt in my mind. And uh, so I, could, I really enjoyed him just gormlessly watching La Saga drift away to allow him to score the first goal against Derby. There was a lot of gormlessness mm. about that goal. Mm. That's a great way of describing it. He's got big weird eyes as well, yeah. big starey face, weird haircut. And he also had a bit of a hissy fit against La Saga that game where I think La Saga had fouled him. It wasn't much. And La Saga mm. went to pick him up and he was like, no, get away from me. Like, oh, yeah, he was, he was trying to start stuff, yeah. wasn't he, when La Saga... He's just crap as well. Like, he's just a bad defender, I think. Captain the Derby. Yeah, I, yeah, I just hate him. I really hate him. Speaking of the Derby game, there are a couple of nominations um, that have made it to the, the prep sheet from that match. Michael? Um, <coughs> am I res- I'm not like I'm purely responsible for these. Um, I can recognise your typing. Um, well, Cooper may be a bit harsh. Cooper, he was going to be on there, but then he scored. This is Liam Cooper, the Leeds United defender. He, captain, sometimes, yes. anyway. Um, he was going to be on there, but he scored, so maybe I'll strike him off. However, Debock. Lawrence Debock, the Leeds United left back. Correct. Um, I just want to emphasise that you're just nominating all Leeds United players. Correct. Yep. Yep. <laughs> if you watch the Derby game, I don't, it doesn't need explaining, really. Yes. It, it would it's, be good to know which pub he was in before the match. <laughs> Because it looked like a right boozer, if that's how he was when he came out. Given we've had some very bad patches this season and some very bad left-backs over the years, has there been a worse performance by a Leeds United player or left-back? Other than, I suppose maybe the Zaliukas game that you, that you mentioned mm. there. I don't think he quite hit Zaliukas' heights. It wasn't quite as funny as Zaliukas. No. Because he was sort of wandering into midfield. and. Do you remember the back heel in our penalty area? Yeah, doing weird, really mad stuff. Which was, was quite nice. The back heel stays with me because it, on the when you watch the footage back, they showed the back heel quite close up, and then just after we played it, they pulled to a wide shot, and you could see all Leeds United players looking around, like as one going like, "What the fuck?" Like it just nobody knew what was going on with him. So that's why that's why Debock gets nominated as well because okay. he was bad, but without the ambition of Zaliukas. Andrea Rodrizzani is down here for being mean about Thomas Christensen. That seems like a fair reason to to nominate him, and also just being. Like the Askel UFC thing seemed a little bit. It was twenty minutes. Like I thought they could have done a bit more than twenty minutes. Felt like they weren't really like in between meetings in London. Just like oh, they they got, they got Tom Kerwin on the train down and then straight back again. I don't know. I don't know how I felt about 
Tom Kerwin on a train. Um, let's nominate Tom Kerwin for haunting uh, the nation's railways. Okay. And another one that, Michael, I believe you've put down. Which one's this? That would be Mark Hazelwood. Oh, oh of course, yeah. Um, for being a leads-hating bastard and a thieving bastard. We um, rewind for our younger listeners. Um, Andy P obviously isn't here to give us the first-hand knowledge we were hoping for of being unceremoniously abused by... Mark Hazel. What if you think it's about the things that people get angry about Leeds players for doing not go Kemar Roof with his fingers in his ears. Mark Hazelwood scored a goal for Leeds United and then ran towards the cop, flicking V's at the cop um, for giving him grief. Quite a special moment. And uh, discipline Arian Howard Wilkinson in his first half season at the club. Subbed him straight off, brought David Batty straight on and he never played for the club again because he was a Leeds-hating bastard, Mark and Hazelwood. a criminal. Because he's just been sent to prison for six years, I believe, or five years maybe. It's got to be a pretty criminal thing to have done to get six Him years. and someone else have defrauded um, five million quid for yeah. like some, some sort of thing. They were pretending there were students doing a course. Yeah, they, they weren't really doing it and they were claiming some funding. Yeah, they were pretending to be running training courses for young footballers and getting the money from colleges to, to do these courses, but the people that they were doing them for didn't actually exist. They were just sending invoices millions and millions of pounds worth of invoices but thankfully they've not got away with it I don't know if Howard Wilkinson will be somewhere going I knew he was a Roman <laughs> first time but he is worth well Mark Hazelwood was Leeds United captain and uh, and now he can be Leeds United captain in jail <laughs> so um, the nominations Ken Bates uh, Villains of the Fortnite Award Ken Bates not in jail we haven't said referees probably need some they have been terrible lately Dean Smith as well. He can piss off. About the, the, the grass grass. too long and the offside goal. Okay, we're getting a lot, a lot of people here. Um, Ken Bates, all referees. Dean Smith, Felix Fiedvald. Did you just want to say all Leeds United players except Samuel Sees? Is that easier for you, Michael? Uh, yes. Lasaga, Lasaga. All right. Let's... Not having Berardi on there because they murdered him in my bed. True. Uh, Andre Rodriguez Design for being mean about uh, Thomas Christensen. Richard Keogh for being a weird, horrible, gormless bastard. Uh, Mark Hazelwood for being a Leeds-hating thief. Forgotten that just before we started recording this, uh, Steve Evans and Paul Rayner, the Dream Team, have resigned from Mansfield. So we're kind of preempting the pain of when they go to Peterborough and team up with Darren McAntony and Barry Fry. That's going to be absolute painful. So whether they should just be nominated for villainy straight away, they're on there. They're worth the nomination, and then we may come back for, with an actual. Then award. come back. They'll be there another time. Who are we going to give it to? I'd go Hazelwood myself because he's, mm-hmm. you know we're not going to get chance very often. I feel like oh. De, I feel like Debock and Cooper and Vidal. We've got we've got mm. how many games left this season? Yeah, it's going to be a lot of opportunities. Isn't They're there? going to be on there loads of times. Do you not think Hazelwood's going to bust out of that that jail? Pretend, well, no, he won't. Like the A team, he'll claim it's a crime that he never committed, and then start going around in a in a van with I don't know Berardi. Because he's probably going to go down the route of claiming he's like a modern day Nelson Mandela. Like a lot of good people, a lot of good people have been to prison. That's true. Yeah. So in a six years, when he comes out, we may have to. We'll be nominating him as a hero. Potentially. Probably not. Nelson Mandela didn't go to prison for fraud. Just to clear that up. And he also never flicked the V's at Leeds United. Fans. <laughs> Quite the opposite. Exactly. With Lucas Radaby is essentially exactly. a Leeds United fan by proxy. So we've got, we've got a garden for him. Mark Hazelwood's not got any gardens. So Mark Hazelwood is the Ken Bates villain of the fortnight for being the absolute opposite of Nelson Mandela <laughs> in every single way. Um, Heron of the Fortnight, uh, we have some nominations for the Andy Hughes Hero of the Fortnight. 
Pierre-Michel Lasaga is on here. He's had quite the month. I, I put him on, so I will talk about Pierre-Michel Lasaga. I like him now. I wanted him to go after the Newport game. I never wanted to see that man again. But now I can't wait to see him grinning and smiling as he runs drunken. I mean, Dubok plays as if he's drunk. Lasaga, he just looks a, l- a little bit squiffy. There's something quite endearing with Sunday League about the look of the man. Yeah. Obviously, he's by any normal standards, he's in incredibly good shape. I'm sure put next to the three of us um, in, a, in a body fit shirt, we would all look pathetic next to him. But he's kind of a bit chunky and ungainly looking. And I quite like that about him. And he's slightly, he's got like a bit bald at the front and he's, he doesn't seem to have a great deal of care about how his face looks on things. Like when he celebrates, he just throws himself into it. He's not sort of one of these posing types. Do you know the story about him uh, at Hamburg when he was injured and celebrated a goal? He, was, he wasn't in the team because he was out with an injury and they scored a late goal. And he ran onto the pitch in uh, jeans and a sweater and a baseball cap. And he got dragged away by the stewards and arrested because none of them would believe that he was a Hamburg player. They thought he was a pitch invader. But he just looked so regular um, Joe Schmo that they were like, no, nah, we're, we're chucking you in the cells. So some great photos of him being led away um, in uh, his own brand, PML baseball cap. Nice. Um, even that didn't go. So yeah, Pierre Michel Lasaga. I think um, anybody else. Saez has uh, returned all hope, which I'm refusing to accept, but I am enjoying nonetheless. That derby, 15 minutes, whatever it was, it was just. It really made me happy. Like, and I've not been happy watching Leeds for ages, but it's just so nice to watch. It was a real sign of what we've missed while he's been away. It's just mm. nice to watch a good player. Yeah, I don't know why Leeds United have made that so difficult for so long. <laughs> um, anybody else, Michael? Um, the man who gave his own life to save a child um, outside Elm Road. After, after the correct Brentford yes. game. Yes. yes, he was run over, wasn't he? And then he was. sadly, sadly uh, didn't survive. If you believe social media, <laughs> that is in the, the rush to uh, canonise him in the hour mm. before anybody knew what had happened. It turns out he's actually less dead than Tyler Roberts. <laughs> it's probably going to come back faster. Um, well, hopefully, because... To be fair, there was we don't know the details of the accident outside Elland Road, but a man, uh, Leeds United fan, was run over, which isn't um, good. It's, it's worth it's worth saying. It's not. terrible. It sounded like he had a really bad uh, fracture to his um, ankle. I think bad leg injuries that sound like they must have really fucking hurt. And but he's in hospital. He's not dead, um, <laughs> which is the good news because basically social media on Saturday night was filled with story of how he he tragically passed away which nobody, nobody wants. Andrea Rajazzani uh, described him um, because the story was that he had, he had pushed a, a child out of the way of a car, which he may or may not have done, but Andrea Rajazzani described him as a heron, um, which nobody could really... I know you in particular were, were trying, biting down on your laugh there. <laughs> Auto-correct. Auto, he's, got, he's got the better of him, but thankfully we can laugh about him now. And we can uh, genuinely nominate him as a, as a hero to cheer him up, essentially. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure if that's heroic, but I would quite like to wish him yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's bad enough going to Ellen Road without returning with a broken leg. I mean, it would ruin everything. I mean, we won as well. Mm. So thinking, finally, after 10 games without a win, I can enjoy Saturday night. No, I can't because I've been run over and now I'm going to hospital with a broken leg. That's not the way a Saturday night should. And so I feel like that guy should get um, the Andy Hughes Heron of the Fortnite Award. Cause, because everybody so. was saying what a hero he was, and then it turned out... I quite like the thought that he's listening to this with his foot up. 
thinking what a Trying bunch to recover. of thinking what a bunch of piss taking bastards <laughs> yeah. I got run over and they're laughing at me. We're not laughing at him. So that I think I think that guy Give it to him. As we said, Saiz will continue to dazzle and delight and you're rejecting his fantastic overtures anyway. La Saga um maybe we'll have another season at least to enjoy his Maybe this guy'll make a habit of it. King run over. <laughs> well let's hope that this will be the only time that this gentleman is run over and let's hope that being awarded the Andy Hughes Heron of the Fortnite Award cheers him up and that he has a speedy recovery and that he uh, he does beat Tyler Roberts back to fitness. With the heroes and villains named, all that remains to say is to remind you that you can be a hero by buying issue 7 of The Square Ball. Go to thesquareball.net, buy it online. We'll either post you a copy or you can get digital subscription and digital copies and read them on your phone or on your laptop. Or buy it from a boy at the Wolves game. Or there will be boys at the Wolves game from whom you can buy uh, magazines, hats, t-shirts. Probably, yeah. All the stuff we're trying to shoot. You'll need a, you'll need a t-shirt on a cold cold winter's night. Should up point out as well that squareball.net is the place to go to if you do want um, an A3 Kemar roof print, which oh. we, we have plenty of those still in stock. And after... Um, all the talk of him on this podcast, no doubt you'll be rushing rushing to grab one of those. Should we send one to uh, Mark Aylesward? Could put it on his wall. Anyway, so go and look at thesquareball.net. Have a look. We're at the Squareball on Twitter and all the other places. Um, but you probably know that because you listen to us. And if this is the first time you've ever listened to us, then um, well done for making it all the way to the end. Thank you, Michael, for coming. A pleasure. Thank you, Rob, for being here. Thanks for having me. We miss you, Andy P. Maybe you'll get through the, the Arctic wastes next time. We'll send um, Lucas the Copcat out to, uh, to rescue him and bring him here for the next one. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 